Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Michael McNutt with Weedy. This week, from our Spring 2023 conference, a conversation with the National Committee on Vital and Health Statistics, or NCVHS, Standards Subcommittee. Speaking will be Tammy Banks, co-chair of the Subcommittee on Standards, and Jamie Ferguson, chair of NCVHS's workgroup on timely and strategic action to inform ICD-11 policy. The moderator is Ed Hafner, board chair for Weedy. Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for attending our session this late afternoon. Glad you're hanging with us here. Um, I'm Tammy Banks, and on behalf of Denise Love and Rich Landon, co-chairs of the NCVHS Subcommittee on Standards, as well as our our members, I just want to thank um, Charles, Rob, and Michael, and of course, Sam and Ed, for inviting us to have this conversation with you today. After I go through uh, the brief overview of NCVHS, as well as our roadmap priorities, um, Jamie, my esteemed colleague, is going to um, give you an update on the NCVHS uh, work group on timely and strategic activities to inform ICD-11 policy and where they are today as his, in his co-chair role. So NCVHS, for those of you who don't know, um, is a federal advisory committee to the Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS. NCVHS also works in a partnership with federal agencies and advisory bodies, easy for me to say, to ensure that the committee's work is synergistic and in alignment with administrative priorities. We are a subcommittee on standards within NCVHS uh, that monitors and makes recommendations to the full committee on health data standards, including implementation of the administrative simplification provisions, HIPAA, Medicare Modernization and Improvement Act, and the Affordable Care Act, and associated areas focused on interoperability. This slide contains the standard subcommittee charge for your review. Um, I'd like to highlight three bullets on this slide. First, bullet three, our recommendations to the secretary are related to the transaction code sets and operating rules under HIPAA, privacy and security standards, health terminology, and vocabulary. Bullet four, these recommendations include strategies to promote a continuing process of developing, coordinating, adopting, implementing, and maintaining standards. Um, and the last bullet, coordinate with other federal advisory committees on cross-cutting issues. Last year, the subcommittee co-chaired the Prior Authorization Request for Information Task Force with HITECH, reporting to the HITECH Advisory Group. It's important that federal advisory groups are, are synergistic and collaborative to remain in alignment. And these three bullets are kind of underlying what we're, we're going to talk about the rest of today. So the role of NCVHS is when requests are received from the designated standard maintenance organizations, and you can see them listed on this slide, um, NCVHS consults with appropriate federal and state agencies and private organizations and obtains input from industry, um, including the DISMOs. Um, and many of you participate in a lot of the information uh, gathering uh, in Weedy on the last a uh, couple of proposals that we've received. After we review all of the received input, NCVH makes recommendations to the Secretary of HHS as appropriate, and then the Secretary will publish in the Federal Register any recommendation of the NCVHS for the adoption of a standard. However, underscore 
um, you know, uh, the secretary is not bound by NCVHS's recommendations. And this is one of my favorite slides, uh, the role of healthcare stakeholders in advancing standards process. While it sounds simple, right? Healthcare stakeholders' role to provide input, we recognize it's anything but simple. Uh, we appreciate all of you who contribute to new and updated standards and operating rules and development in our proposed uh, rules that we've been reviewing. Your input on the questions of whether to move forward with proposals forward to NCVHS is the first step in the review process. We look for clear support of the proposals, agreement there's value, and could support the proposals or there are specific concerns that need to be addressed, which may be benefit cost analysis, major flaw prior to adoption, or do not support for whatever stated reason. Moving to a new or updated standards or operating rules requires support from the industry at large, um, and, and specifically the impacted industry stakeholders. If health insurers build out standards or operating rules only to compliance, not meeting the business needs contained within the implementation guides, no one wins. The other stakeholders don't gain and the health insurers don't receive a return on investment. Um, and the same thing, if health insurers invest in the standards and providers don't adopt, then again, no one wins. So that's why your input and comments are crucial to this process. And as an industry, we need to have a conversation to make sure where we are in support of moving and investing to truly get the value of administrative simplification as we move forward. So I wanna quickly run through our 2023 roadmap priorities, um, which include uh, two proposals we received from CAQH Core, uh, another one from X12 Standards, and more recently we received a second request from X12. Jamie will cover ICD-11, and just again, wanna raise an awareness of where we are with the predictability roadmap and Convergent 2.0. Before we can ever have these conversations, we as a subcommittee always need to come back to what is the definition of a transaction standard and what is the definition of an operating rule. Um, HIPAA transactions, the definition for transaction standard um, is it's a transaction standard or an implementation guide adopted under HIPAA our rules to standardize the electronic exchange of patient-identifiable health-related information based on electronic data exchange, which allow the electronic exchange of information from computer to computer without human involvement. And the reason that's important is the operating rules under ACA are necessary business rules and guidelines for the electronic exchange of information that are not defined by a standard or its... Um, nor are inconsistent or in conflict with the standard. And so those two definitions really help as we take a look at the proposals that come forward from our designated standard maintenance organizations and our operating rule um, authority. So CAQH brought forward to NCVHS earlier this year um, a proposal to adopt uh, the following operating rules that are laid on the slide. I know we had presentations uh, that went into detail on these, so I don't want to go through them, but I do want to refer you to the URL, which uh, is the letter that will talk more about these infrastructure rules and the eligibility and benefit data content rules. Also, we have um, 
we received requests about um, new requirements to the connectivity rule, new single patient attribution, which we just talked about in the earlier session, uh, content rule within the new eligibility and benefits operating rule, and attachment rules for prior authorization and healthcare claims, which a standard has not yet been adopted under HIPAA. In addition, the X-12 request, uh, the first request that we received this year that many of you participated in comments, include the 80-20 EDI standard representation or the implementation guide um, and the XML representation be included in um, the version 80-20. In addition, it was looking at just a subset of the suite of HIPAA uh, standard transactions so was looking at the 80-20 version of the claims, which would be professional, institutional, and dental, as well as the 835 payment revenge device. Two things to keep in mind is this would be a move from version 5010 to 80-20 for the stated uh, implementation guides on this slide. All other adopted transactions would remain on HIPAA. HIPAA. 5010. So that is the proposal that was under review. Um, and I mentioned the EDI standard representation in XML as permitted syntaxes. And then X12 indicated that they would be providing a fire crosswalk for version 8020 transactions as well. For more detail, uh, for those who weren't on some of the previous sessions, here's a URL to the letter, which may help. We also just recently received another request from X12 um, in regards to three uh, implementation guides. Um, the first one is the healthcare claim status request and response, the 276-277. So providers can send a healthcare claim status request electronically, and then they would receive the healthcare claim status response, the 277, back from the payer. Um, in 2022, uh, CAQH index adoption rates were 72% for medical and 25% for dental. I know that they were updated um, in the most recent uh, 2023 index. Um, and the other is the 834 benefit enrollment and maintenance implementation guide. Um, it, this, this standard is recognized by the U.S. federal government as the transaction standard for healthcare benefit enrollment. Employers may use them to enroll new members while insurance companies use them to pay claims. This, this implementation guide is used by unions, employers, insurance agents, or government agencies. In healthcare, the 82 payroll deducted, deducted and other group premium payment for insurance products is specifically used for plan sponsors, and that is companies providing healthcare benefits to their employees to transmit information on premium payments to the other plans. All other adopted transactions, again, will remain on 5010, similar to the previous proposal. And you can expect more information on the next steps in the review in the short term. So what do we do when we get proposals? So the typical process, you're going to see what our steps were for the CAQH core and the first X12 uh, proposal. We had a presentation by the authoring uh, bodies and then um, we were fortunate to collaborate with Weedy, who, as you know, is the name advisor to HHS and the HIPAA statute, who um, pro provided informational sessions, did a lot of industry feedback through surveys, member position advisory event. All that information was very helpful and reported back 
uh, through our request for comments as well as at our hearing. Um, for those who weren't able to participate in um, the hearing or in specific uh, collection activity, we did a request for comment to try and reach even a bro more broad audience. We received over 600 comments, so we know that these, both of these proposals um, were very important uh, to a lot of uh, stakeholders. We also always have consultative conversations with CMS, OBRI, the National Standards uh, Group, and um, the Office of the National Coordinator, uh, just to make sure that we are in line with federal priorities as well as gain additional insights. Um, we had a hearing on January 18 and 19, and then our full committee, we expect to um, provide our recommendation and finalizing them on a virtual call on June 14, 2023. And you can go to the NCVHS website, and we'll also provide that URL later in the session um, to make sure that you're able to attend that session. Um, the X-12 request to uh, that timing for uh, requests for comments and hearing will be coming shortly. But again, your input is vital to this process. Um, things that we really seek to gain from the industry is definitely not only input, but consensus about these proposed proposals that are brought forward. You know, is there a need for the change? Is there a need for the update compared to the benefits that are being received today? Is there a consensus around, again, the proposed version as brought forward? Um, is there any cost-benefit information, any value drivers, any use cases that would, would um, really make a positive impact uh, in burden reduction? And how can these requests support the objectives, objectives of HIPAA and ACA? And again, always other priorities are identified, which are very helpful to the deliberation. So where is the NCVHS subcommittee with our work plan? We were really focused on um, doing our due diligence with the CAQH core operating rule proposal, as well as the X-12 proposal, um, as well as creating an outline for our report to Congress, uh, which is a required report every two years of, of the NCVHS. So we were not able to focus as much time as we wanted to on our existing roadmap. Um, so we are very fortunate to have some new members that are onboarding. So the timing's right for us to revisit that work plan, which is encompassed by the predictability roadmap and all the pre-work that was done in order to really take a look at what is the process of the standards and operating rules brought forward to NCVHS for consideration and eventually adoption under HIPAA? Is there any way to uh, shorten timing, uh, create more effective uh, review process um, is something that we will be revisiting again with fresh eyes, as well as the convergent 2.0, really taking a looking at based on what we know um, from the predict predictability roadmap and the previous work that we've done, um, to, uh, to, to revisit that and bring that back to our next full uh, committee meeting, uh, which will be held in July. And you can get the dates and that information. So you can expect more information 
of our re-review and where the committee expects to go in regards to these two topics at that meeting. So what's on the horizon, just to reiterate, we have a full committee hearing June 14. It's a virtual hearing. It's going to be primarily uh, to look at three letters. Two of them are coming out of the subcommittee of standards. One is the CAQH core proposal, and the other is the X-12 proposal one, which is the claim and payment advice. Uh, the second will be the NCVH full committee hearing on July 19 to 20. Again, we'll give you a better update on where the uh, NCVHS subcommittee of standards roadmap, roadmap is and where um, we will be addressing the uh, predictability roadmap and convergence. And then we also will be looking at uh, gaining our timing for the next X-12 request to uh, proposal. And where to find all this information, um, this is the URL. Uh, and you can, any information of any work group product um, meeting summaries, everything's available on this website. So I really encourage you to uh, take a look at where we are um, so that you can definitely provide input as, as needed. With that, Jamie, uh, if I could pass it on to you and then we can take questions uh, after your session. Great. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, thank you, Tammy. Uh, so thanks for having me here. I'm uh, very pleased to be uh, here speaking with you today, uh, giving an update on the NCVHS uh, work group and, and our work uh, informing uh, potential policy recommendations for ICD-11 adoption and implementation. And so the, you know, the committee um, advises the secretary on health information policy broadly with specific responsibilities under HIPAA, but it also, uh, the committee looks beyond HIPAA and ICD-11, uh, it's important to remember that, uh, you know, it has a primary use perhaps as a, uh, as a HIPAA code set, ICD does, but ICD also is used in many areas outside of uh, the HIPAA code set use as well for public and population health, quality and safety uh, analysis and reporting uh, and for many areas of research as well. And so the committee, uh, the committee um, objectives rather for ICD-11 uh, are all about supporting what it takes to make recommendations uh, for uh, for future policy, we we obviously we want to draw on lessons learned. I don't think anybody wants to go through uh, the the process that we had for ICD-10 uh, conversion from ICD-9. I think that was very long and drawn out, um, and uh, you know that it was uh, let's just say a suboptimal uh, process overall. At the same time. Uh, ICD-11 is very different, and we really need to have uh, the, the right amount of analysis and research uh, to, uh, to cover all the topics that need to be covered so that we can have the transition uh, be as smooth and uh, efficient and effective as possible. So the committee has uh, developed uh, two previous letters to the secretary. We had one in... Uh, November 2019, uh, listing a number of different areas of research on ICD-11 that uh, should take place. 
recommending the creation of a communications plan, uh, strategic out outreach and federal leadership. And then of course the pandemic happened. And um, so we issued another letter uh, in September of uh, 2021 saying, no, we really mean it that the, uh, you know, the uh, research on ICD-11 actually is urgent. Uh, it's important. ICD-11 at this point um, had been adopted uh, in the WHO General Assembly and actually last year started the, uh, the WHO uh, five-year support period for national implementations. And so, you know, so we really wanted to get out uh, ahead of this with a coordination of a, a research and analysis program to provide the information necessary uh, to make uh, any policy recommendations. So one of the uh, important aspects of ICD-11 is that it's uh, flexible, it's designed to be um, updated um, with uh, a number of different uh, possible extensions or linearizations and different ways of potentially avoiding a full clinical modification. Well, so we need to obviously have the, the appropriate research, some of which has already been done, uh, particularly in the National Library of Medicine. But, uh, you know, we have uh, an, a bunch of research that needs to be done in terms of identifying how well the, uh, the native ICD-11 meets our needs for, uh, for all the different use cases that we have. Obviously, how well it meets U.S. needs uh, for billing and, and payment uh, as a HIPAA code set is incredibly important. And then what are some of the uh, costs, benefits, the potential complications uh, of ICD-11 uh, adoption and implementation? How should we implement it overall? And so last year, the committee formed a work group uh, on ICD-11. And um, you know, with the intent of the work group is really uh, investigating and analyzing information to present findings to the committee so that the committee can develop recommendations uh, to help guide ICD-11 policy. The, uh, the committee, uh, or rather the work group, has been meeting regularly. Uh, we have uh, uh, full participation from uh, eight different federal offices and agencies, as well as a number of private sector uh, experts who've been working with the work group. Uh, we really wanted to bring in uh, experts from a variety of perspectives. We, uh, we expect to be able to uh, sponsor and facilitate an expert roundtable that we hope will be a public meeting that will include experts from, you know, including the perspectives of all the different parties that uh, have any interest of any kind in ICD-11 adoption and implementation. And so we're looking forward to that and, you know, stay tuned for more news uh, on this potential uh, expert roundtable. We're, we're still hoping to get that organized and, and done. And at the same time, then, we think that there's a need and that the committee could potentially fill uh, that need for having uh, facilitation of an ongoing community of interest to help coordinate research and analysis on ICD-11. And then ultimately, as it says on the slide, the committee will advise the secretary on ICD-11 adoption and implementation uh, as a HIPAA medical code set 
and uh, and very likely beyond that as well. So I think that's it uh, for you know the the uh, summary of what we're doing in the work group. I'm very happy to take any questions on that. Okay, thank you, Jamie. I'll start with Jan. She uh, she uh, put in a post on the chat. If anyone else would like to post, uh, please do so. I see Rob just did one as well. Um, Jamie is asking this. Uh, or, uh, sorry, Janice is asking uh, for a discussion about getting rid of the requirement to use X12 for prior authorization in HIPAA to allow for fire end to end. Is that is there any anything has reached NCBHS discussing that topic? No, that has not come to our topic. However, uh, you know we're pleased with the exception, um, the ability to do exceptions through HIPAA. And um, obviously that work is, is undergoing. So it'll be interesting to learn from those lessons. Okay, thank you, Tammy. I'm, I'm gonna shoot one over to Jamie just to kind of keep it balanced. So Jamie, uh, you know, you talked about the flexibility on ICD-11. Uh, um, from a stakeholder perspective, who's really driving that uh, to, to uh, push forward ICD-11? Well, so, uh, you know, ICD-11, uh, there are two components to the use of ICD-11. There's its use for mortality reporting, uh, for, you know, cause of death reporting. Uh, that's a mandatory. That is, uh, that's actually a, a treaty obligation of the U.S. Uh, under the uh, United Nations uh, Charter for the WHO. Mm -hmm. So, um, so as a member nation, that's what we're going to do, but that's really handled in the CDC by the National Center for Health Statistics. So, so the mortality reporting doesn't actually affect um, you know, payers or, or providers that much. However, it's used for morbidity reporting and morbidity coding for, uh, for payment, reimbursement, you know, public health and other purposes, obviously has a, has a huge impact on the industry. And so the the it's used for morbidity coding, really is uh, is what we're looking at. Now, the in terms of your question about the flexibility of it, the structure of ICD-11 is fundamentally different from uh, from anything that came before. And in fact, WHO uh, believes that this is the last version there will ever be, uh, because of its uh, its ability to be updated. Uh, and the, the flexibility that's built into it. It's uh, entirely an online system with the freely available software and APIs uh, from provided by WHO. And so, you know, we're uh, interested in questions to, to support the committee where the work group is interested in questions about how all of that might be managed uh, for the U.S. Interesting, Jamie. Thank you. Uh, let's go, uh, Rob. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion rega today regarding CMS exceptions process. Is it within the purview of the subcommittee to review this policy and offer recommendations to CMS? I love that question. Um, and the reason I love that question is, yes, it is under the purview. And we had a hearing uh, talking about the exception process and where there could be improvements, where it could streamline and you guys may want to go back and, and take a look at that hearing, um, but we were not able to get the concrete, um, you know, underlining why it's onerous and how it should be improved. Um, I know there was some um, recommendations. Unfortunately, I'm I'm not I'm not sure exactly what uh, they what the 
outcome of the how we wrote up the hearing. Um, but it is, you know, in a very important process. Um, and we'd like to hear more um, if there is challenges and what are the solutions that the industry feels would be more palatable. Okay. Thanks, Tammy. You're lighting up the chat. Let me read the next one. Uh, everyone, we've talked, this is Janice again, and we're going to talk about exceptions again. Uh, everyone, we've talked about exceptions, find uh, exceptions, find the process that if it's too onerous and it's limited to a three uh, year time frame. Uh, it's not, uh, to, you know, her perspective, it's just not a good situation. Uh, thoughts back? I would just would love to hear uh, what the solution is uh, that would make it more, less odor, owners. Okay. Janice, we'll work on that. All right. Uh, Jamie, um, this is back to Rob. Uh, will the review of the ICD-11 include its potential impact on quality reporting as they utilize ICD-10 codes? Yes, absolutely. So the use of ICD for uh, both quality and safety reporting uh, are some of the key areas that the work group is, uh, is interested in getting information on. Uh, in fact, at a recent um, meeting of the WHO, uh, there was some discussion about the potential for um, mapping all of the existing uh, ECQM value sets for electronic uh, quality measures that all of those that are held in the value set authority center, uh, mapping those to ICD-11 mm -hmm. to find out any gaps. So I don't believe that work is uh, going on yet, but that's certainly under discussion. So this is, you know, this is some of the key work and analysis that has to take place before the committee would be ready to make policy recommendations. Thank you, Jamie. Um, uh, now, uh, let's see, uh, Janice, I'll reply to you, Tammy. Uh, I will introduce you to, to Janice. She's really fun. Uh, uh, you guys are great together. Anyways, let's move on to Janice's next question. Uh, if the ICD-11 can be updated in place, then how do you know which codes are actually supported and available for use at any given time or a given partner? So is there like a date range on those codes? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's too early actually to be able to answer an operational uh, question like that, but I would imagine that you know, it's likely and typically with systems of this kind, uh, there are versions that are released on particular dates. So the update process is something that happens at WHO, but the US version is something that would have US only extensions or linearizations and so forth that would have to be managed by a U.S. Um, center for ICD-11. Okay. You know, I know uh, HICPIX goes in and out and in and out. You actually can, uh, you know, changes the flavor. Yeah, so I mean, typically, whether it's an annual or semi-annual yeah. process, something like that, there would be a, you know, designated version uh, that would be used for the U.S., at any particular time. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, this is from Stanley. This is for Jamie as well. How will costs of ICD-11 uh, be estimated and how might they be allocated among participants? Uh, that is a great, great question, which means I do not have any answer. Uh, and, uh, but you know, again, uh, both the the costs, the, the, uh, the resource costs, as well as system costs and opportunity costs of, uh, of this kind of implementation and adoption uh, have to be analyzed. And so some of those are some of the key questions that the work group has and will be studying uh, to provide information to the committee. Okay. 
Okay. And uh, I skip a question for you, Rob. Uh, let me let me tell you. Uh, let me, uh, Rob. Please post again if I did. Uh, I do have a question for Tammy, and this one might be a little bit of a loaded one. Are you ready? Uh, you know, so a standards development organization pushes forward a new version and is asking you to adopt it. What would be the perfect world? What kind of information would be in a perfect world that would make it easy for NCBHS to say yes? after you get input from everybody. Well, let me, let me ask that question back to the audience, Okay. right? So if for your organization, if a new standard is going to be adopted, what do you have to bring to your boardroom to get an investment into that standard? Right now, regulation is what drives it. Wouldn't it be nice to drive the value and the cost-benefit analysis and understand what the operationalization cost could be. So utopia is to understand those aspects. So when you go in and make an investment, you don't make an investment to be compliant. You make an investment in order to satisfy the business use cases that are going to drive down the cost and reduce the administrative burden. So that's utopia, right? So we have that information for providers, for payers, for all the key stakeholders that are using these standards um, so that the appropriate investments and the timing can be made so we all can see benefit from these standards. And it's not just one or another have to make an investment and it becomes a compliance rationale instead of truly moving the interoperability forward, which is what we all want, right? Right, right. And we, we started off our session talking about the trivia question on who's saying tiptoe through the tulips. Tiny Tim would be happy with that answer. All right, so Rob, <laughs> there is a growing interest in the area of standardization or standardizing health insurance cards. NCBHS looked at this issue years ago. Any plans to revisit this? Uh, we, well, if, if you don't have an answer yet, Jamie or Tammy, come watch Weedy because we're going to have some education on some pretty cool things happening in the health ID world. Yeah, actually, it was when I was... Uh... On the Weedy board, that was when that uh, came up previously. Right. Um, standardizing uh, the insurance cards. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, the state-level state approach. Yeah, and, and Ed, obviously, we've both been involved in this effort for a long time. So the question always is, why now? And how can it truly uh, reduce the administrative burden and fit into the interoperability roadmap? So it'll be an interesting discussion. Yeah, that's a good Thank you, Jamie. And Jamie, that's great. Uh, we seem to have a couple new messages here uh, for Jamie. It's here for Jamie. Can you say anything about plans for nationwide training for ICD 11 and also crosswalks for ICD 10 CM? Sure. Well, obviously, you know, uh, training and communications and uh, mapping or crosswalks all are very important aspects of uh, the overall adoption and implementation process. Those are going to have to be well understood with the options well understood. We're not there yet. Uh, those are uh, a number of the key questions, actually, that the work group uh, will be studying to help present information on those topics back to the committee. But, um, you know, for, uh, for ICD, uh, obviously, uh, mapping and crosswalks to from uh, from 10 cm to 11 are important. Uh, those actually have been studied at this point 
uh, to some, to actually to a large degree, in different ways by the National Library of Medicine at this point, and I, I believe those are published. Um, but it's also important to uh, to both to understand, uh, analyze, and then to maintain the mapping of ICD-11 both to the uh, the clinical coding systems of uh, SNOMED CT, um, LOINC, RX Norm, and others, um, and to uh, to the other uh, administrative as well as clinical coding systems and terminologies. So uh, all of those things are uh, are really for the work group to to provide information to the committee. Up. Well, thank you, Jamie. It doesn't look like we have any more questions, but I would like to say, I'm gonna try to be a weatherman, a point up to the weedy sign here. Uh, we are very appreciative of, of our relationship with NCBHS and anything we can do to help uh, you and your uh, roadmap. Uh, and we appreciate your education and, and coming to events like this. It's, it's really helpful uh, for our members to be able to interact with you. So thank you so much for that. Well, Ned, if, if I can you know, add on to what you're saying. Obviously, input and comments are so important, right? We all have different experiences. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have knowledge that others don't have. And so that's where it's very exciting when Weedy can collect that member information. So I encourage all members, no matter if you think you have the expertise or not, to share your background. Because as you know, um, Every, every comment really helps get us to where we need to be. Uh, I just, I understand there's some questions in the Uva app. Actually, Ed, I found it. And oh. the question is, is there a timeline to implement ICD-11? Okay, uh, so we don't have that timeline yet. Uh, I can tell you it's, you know, it's not going to be uh, fully implemented within the next couple of years. That's pretty obvious. Uh, but I think that the, uh, you know, the, the timing of different aspects of adoption and implementation uh, might have to be balanced because there have been a, a number of published studies already that show material benefits uh, potentially that, that could be uh, gained from voluntary use of ICD-11 today for things like a patient safety reporting for pressure ulcers, or uh, you know, using ICD-11 for a number of the e of the current ECQMs, and so you know, so because it, it has better coverage of the uh, clinical information that's needed for those measures, and so it's a you know, so it's really um, you know something that's going to have to be uh, understood in the in the full context uh, of uh, the use of ICD-11 as a HIPAA code set as well as its use for those other uh, purposes. And I, I don't know yet where that's gonna, where that analysis is gonna come out. Thank you, Jamie. And, and Jamie and Tammy, it's been so nice to see you again and interact with you. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the healthcare IT community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find all our episodes as well as information on our association on our website, wedi.org. Thank you for joining us and be safe.